Cultural Bursting Perspectives, our continuing series of podcasts to help you understand key issues at the intersection of business and law. Today, we will look at reopening businesses from the legal perspective as we evolve through the pandemic with Felicia Ennis, partner at the New York law firm Warshaw Burstein, who concentrates her practice on commercial and employment litigation. Ms. Ennis has represented clients in cases involving discrimination, sexual harassment, breach of contract, retaliation, wage and hour laws, family medical leave laws, wrongful discharge, misappropriation of trade secrets, business shareholder disputes, and partnership dissolutions. Her experience spans a range of industries, including hospitality, apparel, construction, financial services, government contracting, healthcare, and the not-for-profit sector. I'm Tom Merriam. Felicia, even with all that experience, you and, of course, no one else has encountered a situation like the one we are now in. That's right, Tom. So as business owners, um, people are really questioning um, whether they can ever get back to that pre-pandemic state that they had back in March. And, and really what businesses are facing right now is something that is uh, not going to be uh, the situation that they were in before the pandemic. They need to adapt and their employees will need to adapt to a new normal. And what I'm going to address in this podcast are some of the considerations for businesses that are planning to reopen um, and what they need to include in a successful return to work business plan and um, how to communicate that plan uh, with their employees and then ultimately decide which employees to return to the workplace and when because timing is also a critical factor here, and certainly that will vary state to state and, you know, region to region. So really the first critical consideration for a business is having a plan. And what I've seen in my experience are those businesses that do have a plan in place and are able to communicate that plan with their employees have less pushback from their employees when, you know, they start discussing a return to work. Because let's face it, there's still a lot of fear out there. Um, And while you can't necessarily um, entirely erase somebody's fears, if you have a plan in place that's um, clear and consistent and provides the important message to your employees that you care about their safety in your workplace, I think that will lend itself to a much more easy transition back to the workplace. So first and foremost, I think one of the critical steps is reviewing your existing company employment policies. I mean, most companies these days have uh, employee handbooks, they have written policies, on things like sick leave, um, teleworking policies, childcare, travel, the meetings, um, reasonable accommodations. These are policies that should be reviewed um, and should be re- revised to ensure that they are compliant with any new regulations. There's certainly been some uh, new sick and family leave laws that have been implemented. We have for example, um, the uh, Family First Coronavirus Response Act, which provides up to two weeks or 80 hours of paid sick time uh, for individuals uh, 
for their own illness uh, due to COVID and also uh, if they're caring for a sick family member due to COVID. So employers have to adjust their policies to ensure that they're compliant with um, the FFCRA. Additionally, there may be some state and local regulations recently enacted um, due to COVID, such, such as, for example, here in New York, New York State also enacted its own COVID-19 sick leave requirements, uh, as well as family leave requirements. So these are the sorts of considerations that um, businesses need to make when they are planning a reopening. So in addition to reviewing and revising your existing policies and obviously implementing new policies uh, as necessary, uh, there's also a host of regulations and guidelines available either through um, the Centers with Disease, for Disease Control, um, through the Occupational uh, Safety and Health Administration, and through the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, um, each of these federal agencies provide guidelines to assist businesses in addressing issues related to COVID-19 in the workplace. So it's really important if you're an employer to uh, get familiar with these guidelines and use them, I say, as a baseline. I mean, in some instances, you may want to be more restrictive than certain CDC guidelines in terms of allowing an employee, for example, to return to work following an illness involving COVID-19. But if you understand what the basic guidelines are and you are following those guidelines in your workplace and implement them as part of your reopening policy, um, this is also an excellent way to communicate to your employees what this new normal will look like and what the measures are that will be in place to protect their health and safety. Felicia, how should employers determine which employees should return and when they should return? So that's a really important question. And the first way to assess who should be returning to the workplace is to really take, um, I guess, a look at who would be available in the sense of, you know, who are those employees that may be absent due to illness from COVID-19? Um, obviously, those employees are not available to return to work. Who are your employees that may have some elder care or other family care issues as a result of the pandemic? Those employees may not be available to return to work as well. And as the CDC also reminds us, who are your employees that are considered to be high risk or more vulnerable to COVID-19? Because those employees may not be available to return to work. So you really need to consider um, who in your workforce will and won't be available immediately to return to work when you reopen, because that really may dictate um, how quickly you reopen and at what percentage or capacity you will be able to reopen. So there really has to be that assessment done and once that assessment is done, um, you may have to have a further dialogue 
with some of your employees because some employees may need what we call certain reasonable accommodations. And the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has recently amended its guidelines um, and they uh, control uh, workplace discrimination laws. So in terms of how to address that with employees, the EEOC is saying while in the past you may not necessarily have been able to obtain certain medical information from your employees, because we are still within the throes of a pandemic, the EEOC said, these are the types of questions that you can ask your employees um, to answer on a questionnaire. And I, I've seen a lot of businesses provide their employees sort of this pre-screening uh, questionnaire, like what uh, are some of the issues that you have faced uh, during the pandemic that may make you unavailable for work in the near future. So these are really important considerations for businesses. Um, obviously, you want to identify also some of your key business operations and functions to ensure that when you do reopen, you have the coverage that you need. And again, that has to do with a dialogue that you need to have with your workforce. But when you do have that dialogue, you want to make sure that you have first put a plan in place so that your workers understand that their safety is your priority so that when you then ask them if they are available to return to work, um, they feel comfortable or as comfortable as one can be that you've taken all of the necessary precautions um, so that they feel comfortable returning to the workplace. And just going back to, you know, some of those checklist items that businesses really need to consider when they reopen and something that has really um, been getting a lot of attention recently is whether or not a business wants to do any screening. And when I mean screening, um, that means, you know, taking somebody's temperature, asking um, employees and even visitors before they enter your workplace to fill out questionnaires um, to determine whether or not they're symptomatic of COVID or have had any exposure to COVID. And again, these are important considerations because if a business does decide, for example, that they want to do uh, temperature taking, there are specific guidelines that businesses will need to follow and protocols to implement to ensure um, privacy issues because taking somebody's temperature is basically considered um, a medical examination. And if you're taking someone's temperature, you know, you need to be able to maintain confidentiality. Some really important considerations um, that employers need to start thinking about <clears throat> in advance um, and not just, you know, think about going back to the office flipping the light switches on and going back to business as usual. So in terms of those considerations, I would say, like, again, the, the top questions that I get asked from employers is, so what can I ask my employees when I'm asking them if they're available to return to work? What type of medical information can I obtain if I'm asking these questions, 
And then what happens when an employee is resistant to the idea of returning to work? So, you know, because we're still in the middle of a pandemic, especially here in New York, you know, the CDC and other government agencies uh, are really emphasizing flexibility with your workforce. And when I say flexibility, um, to make a determination to see whether there are certain alternatives or accommodations that can be made for workers who just don't feel comfortable coming back into the workplace um, right now. And, and they may not feel comfortable, not because of an underlying health condition or other exposure to COVID, but because, again, there is still a fear factor um, and they would just prefer potentially if they can, if they can to continue teleworking from home. So if you are um, a, an employer who has permitted teleworking and you find that it hasn't really impacted productivity, what you may want to consider is to have some of your employees to consider teleworking, to continue teleworking from home. And this is important not only for those employees who may be reluctant to return to the workplace right now, but also because a lot of the, the, the mandates that are out there, whether at the federal, state, or local level, really emphasize creating a work environment that's really been de-densified, I guess, for lack of a better word. That, you know, if you're bringing employees back to the workplace, consider only bringing um, a percentage of your workforce back, maybe 25% to start in an initial phase. I mean, these are the sort of guidelines that we're really seeing, not just from, you know, the CDC and others to uh, ensure that there's a proper social distancing in the workplace, but uh, in states that have already begun the reopening process, that's really what we're seeing, that we're seeing sort of this phased reopening where businesses are slowly reopening and slowly bringing workers back. So when you make that determination, though, um, in terms of whether someone's going to be able to stay at home and continue teleworking or if someone's going to be recalled back into the workplace, um, employers really need to ensure that the considerations are being done um, in a way that really, you know, reflects legitimate business concerns and not for any discriminatory reasons. So we still have to be mindful that, you know, employment decisions um, be made uh, free from any uh, discrimination. So if you decide to just return a portion of your workforce, um, just ensure that while maybe not intentionally, you are not discriminating against a certain segment of your workforce. So these are all important considerations in terms of a successful business reopening. And as you can see, you know, this is not an exclusive list. These are only some recommendations that I have been given to clients. And some of the conversations that I've been having with clients in terms of what their concerns are um, and how to implement, you know, safety in this in this pandemic world that we're we're all living in now. So um, 
These are all really important considerations, developing flexible work arrangements, continued teleworking when available, um, perhaps providing certain reasonable accommodations accommodations to workers such as extending leaves of absence um, and continue to really listen to your employees and address their needs um, is, is really important. So uh, the, the other point that I also wanted to address is what happens uh, when you want to return an employee to the workplace who's either been furloughed or laid off. Because that's also um, another area of consideration for employers. And I know I've been asked a lot of questions by employers in terms of how do you address the furloughed employee who's really reluctant to come back on your payroll because he or she may be actually making more money on unemployment insurance than they otherwise were on your payroll. And that's a real issue for a lot of employers. And so, you know, the general guidelines say, though, that if you're offering someone their employment back and they don't accept it, they, you know, there, there's um, a chance that they are no longer then eligible for unemployment benefits. So that's that's one consideration if you're dealing with someone who's super reluctant. But the other consideration, and I've heard this a lot, is, you know, an employer wants to bring a furloughed or laid-off worker back to the workforce, but they don't have full-time work for them. And they, they don't want to hurt that employee by bringing them off unemployment insurance to, you know, a, a part-time role. So there are certain considerations there. Um, employees may be eligible to continue to receive unemployment benefits even if uh, they are provided with some part-time work. So that might be another way to sort of ease some of your workers back into the workforce. And the benefit to an employee who's given some part-time work um, but is still able to collect something from unemployment is that at least through July 31st, that employee would also be entitled to the additional $600 a week under the pandemic unemployment compensation benefits that is very valuable to them. So even if they are just working part-time uh, and they are eligible for unemployment benefits as a part-time worker, they're still entitled to the full amount of the $600 a week, a week federal benefit under the PUC. So that could be very valuable to an employee and certainly a consideration for an employer that may not have enough work to bring back the employee full-time. You're listening to Warshaw Burstein Perspectives, the podcast of the mid-sized New York law firm Warshaw's Burstein. We're discussing legal issues concerning the reopening of businesses with Felicia Ennis, partner in the employment litigation practice at Warshaw Burstein. And Felicia, one issue that's about to come up are the non-compliant employees. People have come back to work, but yet they refuse to wear a face mask, maybe not social distance properly. What needs to be done to address those issues? That's a very important issue because we've already heard stories in various states that have reopened that there are certain individuals who may be reluctant to wear a PPE for whatever reason. So if you have an employee 
who is reluctant to wear, let's say, a face mask if you have a policy that requires workers to wear face masks in the workplace. You need to, to have a dialogue with that individual because sometimes there may be an underlying reason. I mean, is that worker reluctant to wear the face mask because of some underlying health issue? For example, I've heard stories about people who have asthma um, and find it very irritating to their asthma to have to sit and wear a face mask all day. So is there an underlying health condition there? Um, is there uh, a religious concern where someone doesn't want to wear a covering over their mouth? But again, it's important for the employer to identify uh, when an employee is having an issue due to these concerns such as health and religion, which may be legitimate reasons not to wear a face mask, versus an employee who just wants to be rebellious and doesn't want to follow your policies. Because in, in the case of the employee who uh, doesn't want to follow the policy and has no other reason not to wear the face mask, the employer can insist on it, um, especially if in, in the employer's view, that employee by not wearing a face mask is posing a direct risk to other individuals in the workplace. So um, my suggestion to all employers is always to have that dialogue and keep that the channels of communication with your employees open but it's really important to also have um, a team in place and to have your, a team that's properly trained to identify some of these issues. That will inevitably come up in your workplace um, and to be able to address these issues um, in a way that complies with uh, regulations and guidelines that, are, that have been implemented by the various agencies that, um, that cover the workplace. And one more concern to address today, and that's the fact that going to work doesn't just mean being on the facility where your company is, but also getting there. Transportation is a big issue and just being out in public. Uh, how do employers, and for that matter, employees, need to work out those issues if they don't want to, say, take a bus to uh, get to their job? And that's a great question because it is an issue, especially uh, if you're living in or working in a city where you do need to take public transportation, um, how do you address the, the concerns of a worker who doesn't want to be on public transportation during peak hours? So the way to address that, again, is if you have workers who are expressing to you their, their issues with public transportation, can you offer um, your workers an alternative? And that alternative can range, and that could be, um, you know, based on your specific needs as a business. Can you offer them staggered shifts so that they don't have to – their start time does not have to be, for example, at 9 in the morning. Can they start a little later so when they do commute, they don't need to commute during a rush hour? Can you stagger their shifts so that also their shift doesn't end during a rush hour period? So that's one way of addressing the concern. Can you offer them alternatives to public transportation? And I know certain businesses that are that, that are doing just that. They are offering their employees some uh, per diems or stipends, you know, to take car services and so forth in lieu of having to travel uh, via public transportation, at least at the moment. 
So, you know, those are some considerations that uh, employers um, need to address if they have workers uh, in the situation where, you know, they just don't feel comfortable taking public transportation. Thank you, Felicia Ennis, for sharing your knowledge and insights about reopening businesses as we gradually emerge from the pandemic. And Felicia, how can our listeners reach you if they want to learn more about these issues? Well, they can reach me at Warsha Bernstein, and my contact information is on the website, and I'd be happy to answer any of their questions. Felicia Ennis, Employment Litigation Partner at Washoe Burstein. I'm Tom Merriam reminding you to please visit WBNY.com for other Washoe Burstein Perspectives podcasts and for more information about the Washoe Burstein Law Firm.